0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jim Kircher. Today, we're taking a look at the ongoing impact of gun violence in our local communities. Just this past weekend, at least 19 people were injured, two people killed in St. Louis during multiple incidents involving guns. The violence has devastating consequences for victims and their families, and also takes a toll on the physicians, the nurses, the surgeons who deal with this every day. For his newly published book, Under the Gun, a children's hospital on the front line of an American crisis, Local writer Stu Dorando focused his research on St. Louis Children's Hospital. When he's not writing a book, Stu works as a college sports reporter for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He joins me now in the studio.
1: Stu, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Jim. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, the, it's it's a powerful book, I have to say. And, I, and I, w- I want to say this. No matter, I think, where you live in the St. Louis area, no matter what your politics are or your stand on gun issues, I think this is a good book to read because it gives you so much information um, about the reality of, of what we're dealing with. And I see this on the news every day, and I see it in the paper every day, but this book really gives me a bigger picture, a better context of what's going on, particularly when it comes to young people who are so often the victims of gunshot wounds.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think that some people might see it and their first instinct might be that it's um, you know a political type of book, which it was never meant to be, and I don't believe it is. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it can be insightful for everybody just to see what's going on in our, not just in the city, but in the St. Louis area in general and beyond, beyond the borders of St. Louis County um, with kids and guns. Um, I, what I tried to do two things that uh, hopefully you've found in the book was that to touch on a lot about how it impacts the hospital internally, the people, um, you know the resources, the, the systems and, and what they go through to be able to handle this problem, and then also the victims and their families, and I was able to um, include seven or eight stories of families and kids that were impacted.
0: Yeah, certainly a lot of attention uh, this week on the death of the promising athlete in Belleville, Jalen McKenzie, but I'm also looking, after reading this book, there's a 15-year-old girl who was also shot critically injured. I don't know the status of of, of her condition, but that's another part of this, the the devastating impact that that gunshot wounds can have.
1: Yeah, I mean, when there's um you know someone like uh, the young football player who was known uh, to some extent because of his uh, athletic prowess, it becomes a national story and some of the other stories get overlooked uh, because it happens so often now I think that a lot of things don't get reported or they're just skimmed over by the news and, and people don't always hear all of the things that are going on just because we're getting kind of maybe numb to it or whatever the case may be. Um, but a case like his can maybe further focus, you know, refocus people on, on the problem as a whole. Uh, not just in St. Louis, but overall around the country.
0: Yeah, and we do stand out. Uh, we're not just another city when it comes to gun violence.
1: Yeah, so the the one thing that got me started on this, besides having uh, an acquaintance who was a surgeon at Children's Hospital, was finding out that they treat more gun injuries than any children's hospital in the country. That's a pretty significant fact to find out, and that's kind of what triggered my interest in thinking this become a book um, so yeah there we do have a lot of kids who are shot in the st. Louis area more than uh, most cities um, it goes beyond like I said the borders of the city however and they treat kids from you know they, they had a study that found that they treated kids from 90-something zip codes so it's, it's a very wide-ranging problem with a concentration in the city but with ramifications far beyond the city limits Yeah, and
0: one of the things you cover i mean you, you spent time in st louis children's hospital a lot of time I, I, i'm gathering uh, and there's also this the the inside workings and the struggles they have and sometimes the disagreements they have but let's talk a little bit about what's um who goes to children's hospital who doesn't go to children's hospital because sometimes they're treating what we would consider to be adults right um and, and i don't know if i want to get too deep into this but um it's certainly a debate they have in there. what What is our role as a children's hospital? Right. And should some of these mostly, I would say, young men be going somewhere else?
1: And I think you know that's um, a debate that probably is ongoing over there as to, you know, should they be treating some of these older gunshot victims because that's one of the reasons they do have so many. You find children's hospitals around the country where they will routinely have a cutoff at 14 or 15, or even when the teen years start, where if someone is shot or is in a you know a trauma-related injury, they'll send them to the adult hospital. But at Children's here in St. Louis, they take them up to the age of 21, and that is responsible for their large numbers partly. Um, some people there, and I think it's a you know more of a quiet. Uh, minority but, you know, wonder sometimes why are we taking these 17, 18-year-olds who have been involved in adult-like activities and been injured by guns in that regard. But there are reasons that they want to do that. Um, Well, and they're
0: human beings, and so we we normally, I think, would have more empathy for an innocent victim, an 8-year-old, a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old than we might have for someone who lives by the sword dies by the sword. I don't mean to be callous about this, but there it must be difficult. And you talk about this that a lot of the folks need to put those issues of the folks who are dealing with this. They're saving a life. Their job is to save a life, not to determine who did what to whom.
1: Exactly. And many people told me who you know, sir. Whether it be surgeons or physicians or nurses. That they don't want to know the circumstances of how someone was injured. Um, not that it would cloud how they treat that person, but you know they're there to save a life or to, to get that child or teenager better. And whether they were injured um, accidentally or in some type of uh, you know violence, gang violence, or whatever it might be, there is no difference to them. That it's a human being who they need to get better. And so they don't want to know the circumstances.
0: I'd like to invite our listeners into this conversation, especially if you've had an experience with gun violence and have something to share. If you've got a question or comment for our guest, give us a call at 314 382 8255. That's 382 TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at STLpublicradio.org. You're a sports writer. What what made you tackle a topic that I think must have weighed heavily on you because you spent years working on this?
1: Yeah, well, I, I, um, I can't say that I saw it coming, uh, the project. But I'd always, you know, everyone thinks they have a book in them, right? And um, I'd always wanted to write a book. I'd never given it serious consideration. But uh, Dr. Martin Keller, who is an acquaintance of mine um,
0: and who plays a major role in the book. A major role in the yeah. book,
1: you know, kind of the quote-unquote main character. He um, started talking about the things that were going on at Children's and how bad the problem had become. Um, he knew that I worked at the Post-Dispatch at the time, and my wife also did, and I think he wanted this to get some, not publicity, but he wanted it to be covered. He wanted people to know what was going on. And um, it just, I got the thought that this sounded like it could be uh, enough there to create a book. And um, so I just, uh, one day I approached him about it and he was very gung-ho and I went to the hospital and they were on board with it and we just kind of got started right away.
0: Yeah, it, uh, one of the things that struck me as well is that how many, you, you might have six people in a, in a uh, uh, emergency room trauma dealing with a gunshot wound. Um, it takes a lot of people, it takes a lot of organization. Um, if you get two or three coming in at the same time, I don't know what happens, but th- but this this has to be both stressful on the resources for a hospital and stressful on the individuals. There must be a lot of people who just can't take it. And maybe that's not the reason they wanted to work with children. They didn't want to treat gunshot wounds. Yeah, wanted- and I heard some of that, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, yeah, there, are, um, there can be very – it takes a lot of people to treat a, a gun injury, um, even a, one that might be considered a minor injury. One case that I witnessed uh, from the trauma bay through the operating room, there were 15 to 20 people working on the teenager uh, when I was there, um, when he was in the E.R., and some for more severe cases you can have even more and then it's also a teaching hospital where you have wash U medical students and residents passing through doing rotations uh, at children's and you have those people who might want to show up just to watch and it can become a very chaotic scene that they kind of have to the people who are involved have to be very focused and be able to block out the the chaos that's going on around them in a very it's kind of a small Small space when they're working on one of these kids.
0: Yeah, as in any workplace, there's a certain amount of territoriality. There are some egos. There are some people trying to introduce new practices that maybe other people are trying to resist. I'm not saying that you know the hospitals are any worse off than any other place, but but these are huge issues when you're dealing with saving lives, and and they they must have a lot of arguments about how be, how to best proceed and staff and techniques and those things. I mean, you and I might be totally disagree on how to handle a patient that comes in. You want to do one thing, I want to do another thing. They have to figure that out.
1: Yeah. And at one point, while uh, during the course of working on the book, they actually went through a process where they kind of reorganized um, the trauma bay for one, for these injuries so that they could thin out a few of the people who were there maybe extraneously so that they wouldn't have quite so many voices, quite so many hands and, and, people that were there to kind of create more of the chaos.
0: Let's take a call from Giles, calling from Clayton. What have you got, Giles? Yeah, how you doing? Go How ahead. you doing?
2: Hello? Good. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking about the fact that uh, the, the culture that we've been created in this, in this country right now, especially in St. Louis, uh, with the young guys, you know, they have no hope, no, no sense, nothing means nothing to them. They coming from broken homes, and the gun gives them power. So it's kind of like they, it's just they reaching for this area because they've been traumatized early in their lives with incidents of uh, neglect or abuse, uh, and now they got older and they're able to get a gun, and it gives them some sense of of, of of power, and that's and that's what that's what's going on in our society today, you know, especially in St. Louis, Missouri. It's, I guess in all the. Urban areas all across the country.
0: Yeah, I think that's so. right. And you address some of that, Stu, in the book. There, there is a gun culture, and some people are on the receiving end of that. I mean, from the hospital standpoint, and and some people are living within that culture. Uh, a lot of those kids are, as they say, they were sitting on the porch or sitting in their you know in their bedrooms, or sitting in the back seat of a car, and um, that's they're the victims. And those are the ones I think that. Um, really hit home for a lot of people.
1: Yeah. And this has got to stop, right? Yeah, and it was interesting on the gun culture topic in talking to um, several people who uh, passed through the hospital for a couple years, either doing a residency or a fellowship as they were training to become surgeons. Um, So they weren't from St. Louis. And uh, several commented on that they saw... What they saw as a gun culture in the area that they hadn't seen in other cities or hospitals that they'd worked in. Whether it was, um, you know, urban or rural, or you know, they would talk about how, um, you know, kids having parties where the parents uh, allowed them to, you know, to be shooting, you know, not at each other, but, um, but you know, have guns where they were shooting for fun, or um, kids who uh, wanted to who scheduled things around hunting season. Uh, Those types of things, and it was kind of interesting to see it from the perspective of folks who came in for a couple years and had a lot of interaction with people who used guns and to hear that they thought that the gun culture here was much stronger than than they'd seen elsewhere.
0: We're gonna continue this conversation. We're gonna take a quick break, but we will be back in just a moment to continue our conversation with Stu Durando, author of Under the Gun, A Children's Hospital on the Front Line of an American Crisis. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back. You, we talk about this gun culture, we talk about kids. So many, I mean, a, a lot of what we hear about is perhaps gang violence, uh, uh, retaliations, those things. There's an awful lot of accidents in the home. Kids shooting siblings or friends or their parents, uh, finding guns. Again, this becomes an issue that I think will um, fire up some people in terms of, uh, well, what are you saying? But wh- what's what aspect of, of this story does does that cover? The, this these accidental shootings with found guns.
1: Right. So. Um... In the last uh, six, seven years, the the hospital conducted a study. They wanted to look at their gun injuries. And so they did a study of five years of patients they had treated for gun injuries, uh, 16 and younger, because 16 is the pediatric cutoff in Missouri, so they, for the study, they cut off at 16. And they found that nearly, it was about 32% of the injuries they treated were accidental shootings. Um, of those accidental shootings, 80-some uh, percent, 82%, I believe, were in the home, uh, usually with guns that were found laying around, uh, siblings shooting each other. In some cases, it was you know, uh, people shooting, them, kids shooting themselves, and I'm not talking about suicide attempts. I'm just talking about handling a gun and the gun going off and them shooting themselves. And so I think they were a little bit surprised to find that the number was that high, the percentage was that high on the accidental shootings. And when they got done with their study and they presented it at a conference in Chicago, they asked uh, Cardinal Glennon to submit their numbers for the same period. Um, Cardinal Glennon also sees an awful lot of yep. gunshot injuries, not quite as many as children's. But when they added those numbers in, the accidental shootings remained consistent. So you know, kids are getting hold of guns, and we hear about it all the time, you know, that, you know, I think there were a couple in December, actually, where I think one gun was found in a parent's backpack while the parents were out, and there was a shooting, and there was another one where a gun was found, I don't know where in the home, but, you know, people leave their guns out accessible and loaded, and kids are getting their hands on them.
3: Even if they've been lectured to. And sometimes, yeah, Yeah. you
1: you know, you can, you think you know how your kids are going to react because you've talked to them, but kids... Kids are kids, yeah. and they're curious, and sometimes, I guess, they find a gun, and it's just...
0: Uh... Yeah, too often. Jack's calling in from Baldwin. He's got a comment on gun control. Jack, go ahead. Uh, yeah, thanks for taking my call. I uh, just want to respond earlier to your uh, comments, you know, gun control. I, I don't think any of these gun control uh, laws are a solution to a problem. Uh, for example, you know, I, uh, I grew up in a rural area, and everyone has guns, lots of them. Uh, you know, they've got high-powered
3: rifles, AR-15s, and there's just not any gun violence there that you see in St.
0: Louis. You know, same laws, but there's just, a, like you were saying, a gun culture. There's different gun cultures, and for some reason, the you know, people in St. Louis think it's okay to— you know, someone's giving them a hard time to shoot them. You know, yeah. I, mean, I think you bring up an interesting point when we do say gun culture. We were talking really about an urban gun culture. But, of course, there is a gun culture in the United States, a rural gun culture, uh, uh, hunters. Uh, yeah, no, I was talking about both. Yeah. yeah, I was talking about so both. Let's let's, let's uh,
1: And And I don't believe you heard the words gun control come out of my mouth mm-hmm. since I've been <laughs> sitting here, actually. And I don't know even if that term is in the. Book. It may be in. Um,
0: I think I was the one who said if you this yeah. eventually will turn to a debate about gun control, yeah. whether you've brought it up or not.
1: Yeah. So, but yeah, the, um, the gun culture that people talked about at the hospital was not in this just in the city, but um, you know, throughout the area from patients who they had treated.
0: Yeah, and and what's interesting is the debate about gun control, Second Amendment rights that goes on within the hospital as well. Certainly, it may. Uh, give you a new perspective, but it doesn't mean that everybody's agreed on on gun control issues, even if they're treating gunshot victims.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I heard a wide range of opinions. There were some very, very strong opinions um, about guns and what should be done. Um, there are people who I talked to who grew up with guns and have, still have guns in their home, and there are people who treat children with injuries, but, you know, they they may not have the same opinions about guns and what we should do, but their common agreement is that we need to do something that helps these kids avoid these injuries at such a you know a frequent occurrence.
0: Yeah, this becomes the issue, and you, you get into this with, with some folks who are doing this. So at the, at the emergency room, they're dealing with the end result of this. Other people are dealing with um, making shootings preventable, avoiding, whether it's, Um, let's say street violence, avoiding that or avoid, you know, preventing accidents. So there is work going on there and that's the that's the there's two approaches. One is how do we better treat gunshot wounds and save more lives and then the other question on all of these things is how do you get to the source and and see if you can prevent some of these things and you get into that a little bit as well.
1: And I think the the thing that makes them the craziest at the hospitals when a kid comes in and it's been a gun that's been left accessible by adults, and they just should have never had their hands on it. Um, that is a frustration that that runs deep. You know, just don't don't make these guns. You know, you think you're hiding your guns in your home, and you've got you know a seven year old who has friends over. But you know that seven year old very well may know where that gun is yeah. if it's loaded and it's accessible. It could be a problem, as we've seen.
0: Jay's got a call. He's from Normandy. Jay, go ahead.
1: Yes, guys. Um
3: appreciate this. I uh I grew up in part in a, the big town of uh, Newburg, Missouri. Population 800 and uh, my grandfather though did have guns, but they were not AR15s and and uh, the type of guns that uh that we're seeing nowadays on the street. But I I will have to admit I knew where the guns were and I could climb a shelf and 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 see a A thirty-eight revolver up there and such like that, but you know the gentleman that's called a little bit ago, Jack or whatever, um, you know he doesn't. He's ignoring, by the way, that uh, that suicide by gun in rural areas is a big problem and a big number of uh, uh, percentage of suicides are by guns in those rural areas that he thinks are all that safe and pristine. But um, you know we need to limit. Gun access. We need to have better laws. There's no need to, to have people that that have had mental problems and uh, and are in the, the, the course of a big family dispute. What is it called? A red handle law. Those kind of laws would would help a lot. And um, and this Missouri legislature trying to have more less limits on guns, guns in fraternity houses. It's just no. ridiculous.
0: Well you bring up suicide and that is uh, an issue that that comes up quite a bit um, in in this in on this issue not in the debate but just in the issue of, of guns.
1: Right and some people want to just factor out the suicides when the when they have the gun debate and say, well you know for whatever reason they those don't matter somehow. Um, I didn't deal with suicide in the book I wanted to, but in the book I, I really couldn't because children's doesn't see kids who come in, um, who have attempted suicide. The, re, uh, the reason being is that when you attempt suicide with a gun, it's almost always quote-unquote successful. Mm. So those kids don't make it to the hospital. Um, I think they had one, maybe in the time that I was working on the book, um, somebody who had tried to kill themselves. So, um, yeah, it's a huge, a huge number. And there are studies that show, and you may or may not believe the studies, but that show that if there's a gun available in the home that the, you know, the chances of a suicide attempt go up. Um, and
0: that's the, the what, one of the things that struck me was the repeat uh, victims. Yeah, that, that, that coming in the recidivism, I guess, of, of gunshot. I don't mean to make light of it, but people who have been shot once or multiple times. Um that, that just sort of jumped out at me.
1: Yeah, there was one boy who um, was back, um, I think, with his third uh, gunshot injury, and he was still relatively young, 14 or 15. But um, uh, they have w- really worked to reduce the recidivism, which used to, you know, sometimes you'll see it at hospitals for gun injuries, it'll be as high as 10%. And I think Children's was, as, was up in that range for a while. But the, their social work... Um, They have a program called the Victims of Violence program. I think they've renamed it since, but it offers when um, a child or a teen comes in with a gun injury and they've been injured through some kind of a a violent act as opposed to an accident, they're offered uh, a mentor basically to work in this program for a year to work with the kid and to work with the family to try to, you know, show them, you know, there are different ways to handle situations, and and they had quite a large amount of success with that. Um, they don't always get the people to be willing to enter the program, but of those who had entered the program, the last I checked, they actually had zero, zero who had been shot once, who had returned with another gunshot wound, who had gone and completed the, the program. How long did you spend doing this? I know when you, when you yeah, go into a
0: project, yeah, you think, well, OK, I'll spend six months looking at this and, and six months writing the book or something. But uh, tell me that process, how it unfolded for you. And when you realized, I know when I do, for example, do a documentary, sometimes the problem is knowing when to stop. When do you? Yeah, do, very much so, yeah. Because the story always continues. So, so how long were you at this? And when did you realize you were going to get in deeper than you expected?
1: Um, Yeah, I had planned on kind of doing, um, you know, my idea was, you know, a year, a year in the life of the hospital with this, so maybe a year reporting and then writing it and getting it published maybe in two years. Um, It ended up taking six years, and probably the last year was all the editing and um, figuring out how to publish it and so on, and five years was researching and writing. Um, And you're right, you just you keep finding things you want to pursue and report on and do interviews and... You want to find out how these victims are
0: doing too. And you know, even that, what happens two years later, the story for a, a victim who's recovering, you know, you might, you want to go back 10 years later as well and see how this has impacted their life. And you can't do that unless you want to write volume two.
1: Yeah. And the one thing, you know, uh, my wife told me, you know, it's, you can't just keep reporting on this at some point, you've got, you've got to kind of cut off the reporting and say, I'm done. And that, that was a difficult thing. Um, but I probably largely kept going on it in part because I didn't have a publisher and I didn't know how the thing was going to (laughs) get created. And I ended up self- publishing the book. but, yeah, the first uh, boy in the book who's in that first chapter um, who arrived basically dead, who they saved his life, it took me about three years to even find him. Um, and then I visited with him a couple of times. Um, and so he's, you know, he's, he was saved. Um, he's living his life. He's in a wheelchair but this
0: affects the whole family, and a lot of these yeah, victims exactly. don't have deep resources.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's the, the case here, and he's unable to work, and, you know, he'd love to be able to work, but he, you know, he can't walk, and he's going through therapy, um, you know, to try and get towards something. But, um, yeah, and it's just kind of a trickle down to the family and, you know, to the community uh, the more and more you have of these cases. So it definitely is a, has a, a large impact.
0: So you've gone back to uh, sports writing now, your day job, but what, what one of mm-hmm. our listeners said, do you see any intersection between what you wrote about in the book and being a sports writer? He was thinking about the recent protests by athletes in response to social justice issues. A lot of collegiate athletes do come out of urban environments. Does, does it inform your work? Do you at all? Or are you just back, happy to be writing about sports?
1: Well, I always like writing about sports. And uh, yeah, I never really thought about there being, you know, I separated them for the most part. And they were two different worlds for those six years I was doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of what I do in my work applied to, you know, working on the book, whether it was interviews or research or whatever. But in terms of intersecting, in terms of the the subject matter, I never really uh, thought of it in that regard.
0: Do you come out of this experience in writing this book depressed or hopeful or a little bit of both?
1: Um, I was hopeful at first um, just based on numbers because when I started they had just had years of very, you know, a lot of gun injuries and, and it was starting to decline. Uh, 2011, 12, 13, and there were three or four years where the numbers actually went down. But because the project took so long, I then re- went, went into a phase where the numbers went up again significantly. And so for the last four years, they've been elevated and they have not budged off of, it doesn't look like they're going down. I know they've been pretty busy with, with gun injuries so far this year already. So um, it's hard to be hopeful in terms of the problem getting better just based on what I know they're seeing there at the hospital.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. I want to thank Stu Durando for joining us. He's the author of the new book, Under the Gun, A Children's Hospital on the Front Lines of an American Crisis. Stu, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.